Hi, everyone. It's Melinda Garvey with the See It To Be It podcast. This week, we have another great interview with an incredible role model. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the See It To Be It podcast. I'm your host, Melinda Garvey, the founder of On The Dot, whose mission is to lead women to success through the stories and actionable advice from relatable role models. And each week we bring you an incredible woman who is absolutely a role model to us all. And this week is no different. We're excited to welcome Alicia Doyle. You're going to love her story. Very interesting because she is a journalist and an author, cool in and of itself, but she is also a boxing champion. And so she's just done some really, really amazing things and we're just excited to hear your story. So welcome to the show today, Alicia. Oh, thank you, Melinda. It's an honor to be on your show. So thank you very much. Absolutely. I would be remiss if I didn't say that we are in the middle of shelter in place, sort of lockdown, if you will, with the COVID-19 here as we're doing this podcast, which certainly has affected everyone. And it's been super unusual circumstances. So just really glad that you're able to join us and be here during this time. Thank goodness for the internet and Zoom, you yes. know, especially in times <laughs> like these. It's nice to see your face and to not have to be six feet away from you. No, that is very true. It actually has been really fun doing these interviews during this time just because that connectivity, just that feeling of people wanting to be connected and really sharing their stories and everyone always shares so openly, but there's just something about this time. You know, people maybe are a little more raw, a little more open, a little more transparent, even just that. So we've just had some amazing conversations. So let's dive right in and diving right in. I like to go way back. So I want to know when you were growing up, what was your big dream? What did you think you'd be doing when you grew up? Interestingly enough, when I was little, I did always love writing. I was an avid reader, thanks to my mom. I remember just reading several books a week, children's books. And I also journaled a lot. My mom would always give me a journals. I always loved writing. I really didn't think back then it would manifest to where it is now. But when I was a child, I did want to write children's books. Very cool. I often find that when I interview people and they're in some kind of a creative, you know, especially writing, it's like they knew that from a really early age. You know, there was something about that. I hear that a lot, which is really interesting. A lot of people that are doing other things in business, you know, they started out way over here, you know, wanting to do all this stuff. But it is very interesting in the creative space because a lot of creatives knew that. So, you know, I wonder about that. There's some kind of genetic pull from, you know, an early age to that creative space for sure. And so talk a little bit about your journalism career. How did you end up embarking, you know, and kind of realizing that dream of writing? I never, ever envisioned myself as a newspaper journalist. I always loved writing, but, you know, again, I wanted to write children's books. But I stumbled upon newspaper journalism, and I don't believe it was an accident because it became my lifelong vocation. What happened was I graduated from high school, got into some colleges, and ended up going to California State University, Northridge, because it was close to my house. And, you know, at the time, my boyfriend was going to college. (laughs) So I remember going and not really liking it very much. So I dropped out. I dropped out of CSUN. But I knew I needed to do something. So I thought, um, might as well take some classes at a community college. So I went to Los Angeles Pierce College just to get some electives in until I could figure out what I wanted to do. And as part of my requirements to go to Pierce, I've had to take several electives. And there were, you know, quite a few, as you know, and one of them was journalism. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting because I knew it was a student-run newspaper. I knew the editor-in-chief was a student. 
And after attending that meeting and hearing the editor-in-chief speak, that's when I knew that's what I wanted to do. He's talking about the power of the press and how, what a big responsibility is and how journalists have the power to change lives and really help people. And on the flip side, we can do a lot of harm if we're not careful. So I loved the idea of being able to stand for the underdogs and to be involved in the student newspaper. And then three semesters later, I was editor-in-chief. So it worked out really well. That's amazing. Very cool. And then what about your first job in sort of the real life journalism? How did you get that? I was very lucky. My first newspaper job was at a place called the Larchon Chronicle. And this is all in the book, too. But it's because my stepmother was a nurse many, many years back. And she took care of the publisher's father-in-law. So that was the connection at the Larchon Chronicle in Los Angeles. I went on the interview. It's a monthly newspaper in a really wonderful town. So I learned quite a bit. And I was in my early 20s when that happened. And then meanwhile, I'd always wanted to write for the Los Angeles Times because back then they were the biggest player in town. So for once a month, for two years straight, I was sending letters to the Los Angeles Times trying to get an interview. But after two years of them getting my resume clips once a month, they called me in for the interview. And that's in the book as well, just because I think it's interesting how I never gave up. I knew I wanted to work at the Times and I kept plugging away. And then finally I got hired on as a stringer. I was 25 years old when that happened. I think it's important for people to hear that. You know, a lot of times it's like, oh, well, of course. I mean, look at her. She was a writer for the Los Angeles Times. And, you know, they just see that success. But understanding that you wrote a letter every week. Now, when you went in for that interview, did they know you had written a letter every single week? Oh, yes. (laughs) And it's very funny. And, of course, this is in the book because, you know, I honor all the women role models in my life in this book. And this woman was one of them. So her name was Ann Branoff. She was an editor at the Los Angeles Times. So she brought me in for the interview. She's just a wonderful lady. And it was just a crazy, you know, heightened newsroom, you know, Los Angeles Times reporters, photographers. And just like, I knew I wanted to be there. So she introduced me to everybody. And then she told me, we don't have any positions open, but we can give you a stringer job. And then she explained to me what a stringer was. And that's basically a grunt. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> it's somebody who takes on all the stories that the reporters don't want to write. And I was like, I'm in because I knew I'd get a byline. So at the end of the meeting, she said, do you have any questions for me? And I said, yes, I, I'm wondering why it took you so long to bring me in for an interview. <laughs> and she said, frankly, we wanted to know who this Alicia Doyle was who's sending us her resume once a month for two years. <laughs> Just like, we got to meet this girl. We got to meet <laughs> get her. Yeah, get her to be quiet or something, you know, but... Yeah, and she was just marvelous, and um, it was hard. I'm not going to lie. That was a very tough newsroom to be in, the hardest newspaper I've ever worked for. But what was great about that was every newspaper I worked for subsequent to the Los Angeles Times, those jobs felt easy. But from there, she helped me get a job at the San Diego Union Tribune, and that was just a contract position for a gal that was going on maternity leave, so I got some experience there. And then came back and started working for the Los Angeles Daily News. And from there got stolen from the Daily News from the Ventura County Star, which was the Daily News competitor at the time. And I was working at the Star when I discovered Fox. That's kind of how I ended up getting into media in general, was working at a daily newspaper, not as a journalist, but kind of on the marketing sales side. So very, very interesting time. And of course, I would imagine we're similar in age and you know, it was very male dominated at that time. 
certainly media is still male dominated, but you know, at that time it was very, very male dominated as well. So not as easy for a woman to get her foot in the door and having a role model and having somebody that actually helped you. And that is just one of those stats, you know, you look back and you look at the successful women today and almost universally, you know, they had someone or a group of women who were helping propel them forward. Oh, she believed in me. And so did Jane Gilman, the publisher of The Large Farm Chronicle. Both of those women had an incredible impact on my life as a journalist. They, they paved the way. And I don't know if, if they even realized that, but it's because of these women that I, I am who I am now and I'm at the status I am as a writer. I wouldn't have been able to do it if it wasn't for these amazing women who believed in me. No, that's amazing. So let's talk a little bit about your book. The name of your book is Fighting Chance, which is an awesome name. But tell us a little bit about your book and why you decided to write it at this point in your career. It's nonfiction. I call it a nonfiction novel. And it's about my boxing career in the late 1990s. Mm. And the significance of that was I was one of few women in America doing it. I think back then there were only about 400 of us at the time. Kind of a segue too into the book, your boxing career, because it's like, okay, journalism, you kind of see that as a, you know, buttoned up more of a, you know, so talk to us a little bit about that trajectory. Sure. Um, I love talking about it. And of course, it's in the book, the origin story, how I got involved. Quite serendipitous. I believe there was no coincidence I got into the sport. But what happened was I was working alone in the newsroom one night and nobody was there. So the phone rang and of course I answered it. And it was a community activist and she wanted publicity for a boxing gym for at-risk youth called Kid Gloves. And this is in Simi Valley, California. And the minute she said boxing, I was turned off. Because full disclosure, I never liked boxing before. I thought it was the dark side. So as soon as she said right. boxing, I said, I'll pass it on to our sports reporter. She said, that's not the story. She said, the story's about these kids, these at-risk kids. They have nowhere to go. The gym was completely destroyed by El Nino in the 1990s. And she was explaining these kids, some of them are in gangs. They're quite troubled, and boxing helps them. It helped them build their self-esteem. It gave them an avenue to defend their rage and be in a safe, healthy space. So the thought of all these kids having nowhere to go really pulled up my heart. So I went on this assignment and I met the owner, Robert Ortiz, and his beautiful family. Because they were so lovely, I wanted to know more about this sport that I thought was the dark side. And the more stories I wrote, the more children I interviewed, and the parents and coaches, I realized what a beautiful thing this sport was in their lives and how it literally transformed their lives. So that's how I fell in love with it. But I didn't get into the boxing gym until later. And there's a chain of events that occurred. And this is all in the book, of course. Uh, I went through a really bad breakup once. And the boy I was with hit me in the face more than once. So needless to say, I was pretty upset about that. Robert Ortiz, the owner of Kid Gloves, had always asked me to take an aerobic boxing class, but I never took him up on that. So after being hit by this boy and being really angry um, that it happened to me, I just wanted to hit something really hard over and over again. So I was very upset, naturally. So I took the class, and after I hit that bag for an hour, I felt better. So I thought, okay, there's something to this. I wasn't angry anymore, and partially because I was so exhausted from the workout. So I just kept going back, and the next thing I knew, like, it wasn't that long after that. I was taking two, three classes in a row back-to-back, six days a week. And by that time, it wasn't enough. I wanted more. So I started watching the boxers on from the sidelines, watching how they trained, how they skipped rope, how they shadow boxed and hit the bag. And I just started mimicking them on the sidelines, doing it on my own, up on, on the side by myself. And uh, before long, other coaches from other boxing gyms started to notice because of the level of which I trained. I trained very intensely. And because women's boxing, there weren't that many of us back then, we were considered 
quite big back then. It's when we started to really explode. And I ended up doing pretty well. I only competed for about two years. I won two Golden Gloves championship titles. And my pro boxing debut at age 30 was named the California Female Fight of the Year. Wow, that's awesome. And so during that time when you were boxing, were you still carrying on with your journalism career? Yeah, so I would go to the newsroom and I would work my journalism shift, of course. Then I'd head to the bathroom, I'd put on all my boxing gear and my wraps, and I'd go straight to kid gloves. And the the other reporters used to joke that I was like Clark Kent. (laughs) So, yes, I was doing them simultaneously. And that was pretty gnarly because when I got in the competitive realm of boxing, I'd have to, you know, get up. You know, it's like Rocky. You get up about 4 o'clock in the morning. I'd go running. I'd do my road work, you know, and then I'd go work, you know, at the newsroom. And then I'd go back to kid gloves and I'd train for another three hours or so. And this went on six days a week. Well, in the newsroom, five days a week, but I was also going to the gym on Saturday. This is obviously about women and women's empowerment and women sort of finding their path. What are some of those hurdles as a woman that you had to overcome? I mean, did you ever feel discriminated against? And what are some of those things and how did you deal with them? That's a great question. When I was a journalist, there weren't a whole lot of women doing it, but there were some. So I I never felt any discrimination in, in the newsroom as a journalist, luckily, because by that time, there were women editors. My Most of my editors were female, and, and that was amazing. The, the boxing gym was a different world. It's a male-dominated sport, as you know. When I was competing, we were considered a joke. We were called the freak show. We were objectified. We were fetishized. That's just the way it was. But we wanted to be viewed as legitimate athletes. So we worked very hard. And as a female in the boxing gym, for me, I had to work twice as hard to earn the respect of those men. And in some cases, when I go to other gyms to spar, it was pretty obvious that they didn't want me in their house. Mm. And, you know, as sparring, as you know, it's like a practice fight. You're wearing, you know, a bunch of gear, but it's, it's for practice. So these guys would never take it easy on me. And, and I'm glad they didn't yeah. because that really showed me it's a very dangerous sport. There's a reason why not many people do it. But as a female, I had to very much mask my femininity as best as I could. And, you know, wearing very baggy clothes, you know, tying my, you know, breasts very tight. I didn't want anything showing, hardly any skin showing. I'd wear long sleeves, my hair back, no makeup. I wanted to be viewed as an athlete. So those pieces were very important. But after going through a couple battles, you know, these boys and men watching me fight, I earned that respect through literal blood, sweat, and tears. And once that respect was earned, it was an amazing experience. That's awesome. How do you think it is today? Do you think things have changed for women today, sort of in that realm? And even in the newsroom, I mean, do you feel like this women's movement and, you know, just trying to get ahead, do you think it's easier today? I think it's better because more women have stepped up and paved that way. There are more women boxing in America now, but still not that many of us. There's a huge disparity in pay and the amount of money that female boxers make compared to the men. Of course, you see that in the pro soccer world. But I mean, I think that's, you know, top of mind. It's pretty shocking. Sure, sure. And, you know, we've made some strides. When I was competing, I remember asking one of my coaches um, if I could compete in the Olympics. I wanted to box in the Olympics. And that's when he informed me that women were not allowed to box in the Olympics. I couldn't believe it. You know, this was in 1998, between 1998 and 2000. Women's boxing was allowed in the Olympic Games in the year 2012. That was not that long ago. 
And I believe myself and all my competitors and all the incredible female athletes that came before me in the sport of boxing, we made that possible for women today. When I was competing, everything was geared toward the boys. You know, I'd be in a battle with somebody, come out of that ring, and I'd get a plastic trophy with a boy on the top. They weren't even making trophies (laughs) for girls. Um, You know, so there was that going on. It was one of the most remarkable things I've ever done in my life. And and back to your other question about why I decided to write the book now, uh, because I retired in 2000. And there were a lot of things I had to figure out about why I was involved in the sport. Because for me, it went a lot deeper than just athleticism. It was a very deep, emotional, spiritual journey. And I had to decipher what it was all about. And it did take 20 years, literally 20 years. Back then, I was too young. I didn't possess the wisdom or understanding to even articulate my experience in a book because I wanted the book to have integrity, you know, and depth and the whys. Why would I get involved in something so dangerous? And there's a lot of pieces to that. And a lot of it had to do with my very low self-esteem issues that I used to have, you know, growing up in a violent household. All these pieces that make us who we are, the sum of all parts. And I really had to look deep at my dark side and the things and the pains from childhood and, and even as a young adult that I didn't want to address because, you know, those are the questions, the answers in the book, the whys. Why would somebody deliberately put themselves into the nervousness like this? Right. Because it's, for me, it was a very deep psychological reason. It's all in the book. And that vulnerability was the most difficult part on those pages because I wanted to be brutally honest with my readers to understand that the only way out is through boxing's a battle, just like life. You know, over the years, I'm sure you have gotten and given what kinds of pieces of advice that really helped you push through and that you like to give out to people? Well, I have to credit my coaches. I I learned a lot in boxing and things like always believe in yourself. Never, never quit. My Robert Ortiz, the owner of Kid Gloves, you know, so he works with children and I'm still a volunteer coach with the kids class, you know, when the gym is open and closed right now. But at the end of every class, he has every child stand up and he has this water bottle and it's just, it's a water bottle, but it's called the bottle of confidence. Mm. And he hands it to each child and each child has to stand up and say, this is the bottle of confidence. It means never, never quit. Always believe in yourself. Conceive, believe, achieve. And he has every child say it. It's the most powerful thing. Wow. Power of affirmations. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's what they learn in there. I mean, aside from how to hit the bag. They learn skills for life, and boxing for me was a huge metaphor for life. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to convey in the novel. Mm, That's awesome. Well, as we wrap up today, I would love to, you know, get to know a little bit more about you personally. So do a little speed round of some fun things. Cool. So what does your morning routine look like? Ah, coffee. (laughs) Yeah, so the first thing I do is I get up and I think about it as I'm lying in bed. I drink coffee. I usually drink it black sugar-free creamer. And I usually, because I work from home, I am a freelance writer and a freelance journalist. So I usually put in the computer and I check my emails, you know, see what updates I need to do. And then I hit the ground running. And usually I have my plan in place the day before, but it just depends, you know, on what's going on. And it changes every single day. So what are you currently reading or listening to? Well, with this social isolation, <laughs> I am watching a lot of Netflix and Hulu. Anything really stand out? Any recommendations? Game of Thrones, hands down, is always great. There's eight seasons, so you can binge for a long time. I love the writing <laughs> in it. It's just wonderful. I started watching 
Fear the Walking Dead, which I think is great, but it's a little bit too apocalyptic considering what's happening right now. So I didn't watch that. I'm not watching that right now. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely some things I'm like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not today, yeah. right? I need some light thing. Last question. What's one thing you can't live without? Water. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say this with everything that's going on, looking um, the world away. People. Yeah. I miss people. I can imagine. I think a lot of people are starting to realize that, you know, they're just that, gosh, the human interaction and the human touch is so incredibly important. And I remember when this whole thing first was, you know, going on in China and they were starting to just talk about when you were out at places, don't hug, don't shake hands you know, do the elbow bump or whatever. And I saw this news report in Wuhan and it was called the Wuhan handshake and people would push their foot out and they would touch toes just to have that contact. And I thought, you know, we need that touch, right? We need that human interaction. And as great as Zoom is, it's not the same, you know, as being able to put your hand on someone's shoulder or just that human touch and interaction we need. So I think people are starting to realize how important that is. There's a lot of kindness and good stuff going on out there. That human connection is important. And the goal of my book is to connect with people. And it's being sold all over the world. Yeah, so tell us, okay, where people can find you and follow you. So tell us, the book is called Fighting Chance, and it's available on Amazon, right? Amazon and Barnes & Noble in all formats. People can get an autographed copy. If they want an autographed copy, they can certainly get that directly through me. So all I have to do is email me. My website, I'm very easy to find online. It's just aliciadoyle.com, A-L-I-C-I-A-D-O-Y-L-E.com. And all the information is there. But, um, you know, I love answering questions. If people have any questions about my career in the ring or anything else, you know, that's what's so great about this time is people are reading the book and they have questions. It connects with people on, on all levels. And I love, thank goodness, to have those deep conversations via email, especially now. So I'm happy to answer any questions too. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And Alicia, I really appreciate your time and I appreciate you sharing so openly. And I encourage all of our listeners to go out and get that book. It's a great time to dive in and do some reading. And thank you for sharing your experiences with us. Oh, thank you. It's an honor. Thanks for listening to the See It To Be It podcast. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, Subscribe to our free weekly newsletter featuring a new woman to watch each week and check out over a thousand more featured women at onthedotwoman.com. Know someone we need to feature? Reach out at onthedotwoman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.